Hey, as Scott mentioned, we had a, uh, a great men's retreat uh, Friday night and yesterday, and uh, we had, um, I think we set a Heritage World Record for men's retreat attendance. We had just over 40 guys and uh, just a great time together, and uh, it was a great time of fun and time together with one another, but the, the real the thing that brought it together was the ministry of the word. Pastor Ron Barris uh, was there with us for the weekend. We began planning for this uh, last year and into the spring. And, and when we were talking about the retreat, we knew Ron would be with us. And so we thought, you know, it would be a great idea to continue the momentum that we anticipated. And, and it's, it's there um, from the weekend right on into our Sunday morning. So that's what this morning, both hours, is all about, and I want to encourage you again. We'll have a break uh, between with donuts and coffee down the hallway, as Scott mentioned, and for those of you who here last week, taste and see, all right? Yeah, and uh, join us for that. We'll have a great time, and then at 11 o'clock, we'll be right back here in the auditorium, and you don't want to miss that, but Pastor Ron Barris um, is uh, pastoring, has been for the last five years at Neiman's Independent Church in Richfield, Pennsylvania, and uh, we're very happy and, and uh, I think thrilled to have him here with us this morning to minister the Word of God. So, Pastor Ron, it's uh, your time. Thank you, brother. Good morning. It's a privilege to be with you this morning and open the Word of God together. Just a very brief word of introduction. I was born and raised on a five-generation dairy farm in the northern Adirondacks. Nobody in the family was a believer. We never went to church, had no use for that kind of stuff. My dad always said, have no use for preachers, never met one, could do a lick of work. So, so uh, anyway, uh, growing up, church was not a part of my experience, and I uh, early on became an alcoholic. And left home when I was 15, and the Vietnam War came along, and my draft lottery number was 69, and within two weeks, my next-door neighbor, Alex Jerry, and my first cousin, Ronnie Arthur, were both killed in Vietnam, and I was terrified, because if your lottery number was 100 or less, you were going, and I had no idea what happened when you die, and for the first time in my life, it mattered to me, and it was at that time that a gospel track was given to me. And I read it and was immediately convinced it was the truth and cried out to Jesus Christ to save me. Now, I knew, I didn't know David and Goliath. I didn't know any of the stories of the Bible, never read the Bible, couldn't found a Bible in my home. Um, but now, I know I need it. That little booklet I read said, you need to read the Bible. So I went back to the guy that gave me a track, and he gave me a copy of the four spiritual, excuse me, that was the track, four spiritual laws. He gave me a copy of Good News for Modern Man. New Testament, paraphrase, and I began to read and got off to college just a couple months, two months later, headed off to college at State University of New York. The first person I met was a missionary, Campus Bible Fellowship, and he got me involved with a small group Bible study, and two guys took me on as their project, and within six months, they got me off the alcohol. We call it accountability today. I called it lockdown. <laughs> I needed it. And they saved my life. Dale Marshfield and John Austin, they're still two of my dearest friends. And they discipled me. They poured into my life. 
They taught me how to pray by praying. They taught me how to read the scriptures by reading it with me. They taught me how to memorize scripture by memorizing scripture with me. They taught me how to witness by taking me with them. I came back one day from talking with a bunch of Mormons on campus and came to Dale Marshfield and said, you know what, Mormons and us, we believe the exact same thing. <laughs> he said, oh, no, we don't. You come with me. <laughs> he went back down there and he, he got them to define the meaning of all the words that they were using. And all of a sudden I realized, wow, we don't believe the same thing at all. He showed me how to share my faith. These guys showed me what, what it was to share the word with other people and to get the word into my own heart. And, and they walked me through it step by step by step by step. And that's what we call disciple making. Life in tandem. Life in tandem. It's more than a lesson on paper. It's doing life together and helping each other grow as followers of Jesus Christ. The reason you and I are not already in hell is because of God's great grace. Amen? Amen. If you asked me how I was this morning, you heard me say better than I deserve. Uh, Art W. DeMoss was saying that 40 years ago when I first heard that and it was like, wow, that's so true better than I deserve. Because if I got what I deserved, I'd have been in hell a long time ago. It's all of grace from beginning to end. The reason you and I are not already in hell is because of God's great grace. But the reason you and I are not already in heaven is because of God's great commission. If his only purpose was saving you, then the moment he saved you by faith when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you'd have been gone to heaven. You'd have seen him and been like him and the job would be done. But he intends to do more than save you. He intends to use you as a vehicle of grace to bring others to himself. And then to conform them to the image of Christ and to equip them so that they can reach others until they reach others and... The baton is passed off again and again and again and again. And Jesus did not say, go into the world, go into all the world and make converts. He didn't say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make converts. And as soon as you see them trust Christ as their Savior, leave them and go on and make more converts. I don't know about you, but when... My wife had our four children. We didn't leave them at the hospital. We didn't say, wow, that was something. <laughs> okay, back. <to> no. <laughs> you say, that, my friend, my neighbor, my brother, my sister, my niece, my nephew, my, 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 my grandson, my granddaughter, they, they accepted Jesus as their Savior. It's done. No, 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 no. That's not the end goal. That's the starting point in the process. The goal is for that little baby to mature and grow and be married and have their own children and mature and grow and be married and 
have their own children, and again and again and again, be fruitful and multiply. And that's Christ's purpose for each of us. And regardless of what our spiritual gift is, regardless of what our particular talents are, we are all called to communicate the gospel of Jesus to others, and we are all called to walk alongside of others in helping them grow, and they helping you grow in your walk with Christ. And the key passage, of course, for this is 2 Timothy chapter 2. We just read verses 1 through 8. Turn there again with me, if you will, in your Bible. As we look at these four occupations that are described in Paul's illustration, and it's fascinating to me, Paul packs so much into a few phrases, and then he concludes by saying in verse 7, think over what I am saying. I've given you some thoughts, four primary illustrations. Now, you got to think about them to get it. And that's what we want to look at this morning, these four illustrations of what it means to do the work that Christ has called all of us to do, and that is to make disciples. We are all called to make disciples, to be a disciple, and to make disciples to grow as a disciple, and to reproduce by making other disciples. And the book of 2 Timothy has a fourfold emphasis. First of all, get the gospel and get it right. Get the gospel and get it right. Number two, live the gospel and live it right. And number three, guard the gospel and keep it right from false teaching. And lastly, give the gospel and give it right to those around you. So it's get the gospel, live the gospel, guard the gospel, give the gospel. That's what we're called to do. It's a fourfold theme. You'll find it in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. It's repeated over and over and over. These four concepts get the gospel into your own mind and heart. Dwell on it, think on it, pray on it, study it, love it, learn it, get it. Secondly, live it. Live out the gospel in your daily experience of life's circumstances and your interactions with others, regardless of whether those are individuals who are loved part of the family of God or whether they are your enemies. You are to love them. You are to live the gospel before them with the grace of God filling your heart and mind. So get it and grow in it. Live it and show it. Guard it from error. And then give it so that others can receive it and go through the same continual process. So at this point, we are in the giving it section of 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me among many witnesses, in the presence of many witnesses. What's this mean? Timothy, Paul is saying, what you have heard me say over and over and over and over and over and over. What you have heard me major on continuously among all of these individuals that you've been with me with as I've been teaching them the gospel, this is it. This is the core. This is the essence of the gospel. Stick with it. Stay focused on it. What you've heard from me among many witnesses, do what? Entrust. Or literally, invest. In faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The first illustration of what it means to make a disciple is to make sure you've got the sacred deposit yourself. You've got the gospel. And now what you are to do is invest it in others' lives. What God has given to you, and notice what Paul says back there in chapter 1, uh, verse 12. I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard. He is able to guard and keep without wasting or losing it. He is able to do what? To guard that which has been entrusted to me. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ has been given to us by Christ. Christ has given it to us to do what? To guard it and not waste it and not lose it and not corrupt it. And then invest that gospel into the lives of other people. If all you do is hold to the gospel, then you become like the Dead Sea. The difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea is an outlet. The water that flows into the, from the upper Jordan into the Sea of Galilee goes through to the lower Jordan. And because what comes in goes out, there's life. What flows into the Dead Sea has no outlet, and all it does is sit and evaporate and die. And that's why you don't go fishing in the Dead Sea. Because there ain't nothing there. Because <laughs> it's dead. And why is it dead? Because there's no outlet. It's not going anywhere. So the question I must continually ask myself is, who am I investing in? And there are some small investments and there are some large investments. Small investments are those with whom you do life for a very brief period of time and you share the Word of God and it may be just one or two truths that you're able to communicate to them or uh, I, I don't know how many conversations, scores and scores I've had on airplanes where it's been a very brief conversation. Well, I just was on an airplane with an ultra-Orthodox Hasidic Jew. That was not a short conversation. It was a very intense three-hour conversation from the time the plane took off at BWI till we landed at Dallas. And he's asked for the conversation to continue. So I'm looking forward to that. But, but you, you don't, it's not like I'm going to be able to do life with my new friend, Glenn. But you can invest some. 
But this is talking about investing in other believers. Glenn is not yet a believer. But this is talking about investing in believers, taking the truth that Christ has invested in you and investing it in others. You're not intended simply to keep it and hold it, though you are to keep it and guard it, but you are to keep it and invest it. And if you're not investing it, you're wasting the treasure that Christ has given to you and to me. So the first illustration is the investor, the treasure. You either hand it off and invest it in someone else, or you've wasted it. You say, well, it's not wasted. It's changing my life. I mean, it's, it means a lot to me. I, I love it. I mean, it, this, this is the gospel. This is what I live for. If you are not investing it, you're wasting it. Because it wasn't given to you to dig a hole and bury it. It was given to you and me to invest it in others. Now look at the process. Paul invests it in, excuse me, Jesus invests it in Paul, right? Three years in the desert before he comes back to Damascus. He tells us about that in the book of Galatians. So Jesus by means of revelation, invest the gospel in Paul. That's why he says, the gospel that I received was not from men, but from Jesus Christ. Jesus to Paul. Paul to Timothy. Now, what does he say to Timothy? Invest in faithful men. And what about those faithful men? What are they supposed to do? Who shall be able to invest in others also? Has it taken place? Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you here have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Can I see your hands, please? Well, apparently then, the work continued from Jesus to Paul to Timothy to others 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 to you. Dead Sea or Galilee? To others, to others, to others. One of the great delights of reproducing is the fact that I am now a great, 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 great grandfather. Did you know that? Not physically. <laughs> Not physically. Spiritually. Because it's going on and it's going on and it's going on. How long? Till Jesus returns. Till Jesus returns. So I must ask myself the question, am I a dead sea or a sea of Galilee? Is it flowing through? And so we look for those opportunities. Who are you handing the baton to? Who are believers that you know who are younger in the faith that you could encourage, that you could help? And he tells Timothy to choose. You can't do this with everybody. He says, choose faithful men. Invest in those who demonstrate faithfulness. Always be looking for those who show a true heart change and hunger for the Word. Invest in them. Develop that friendship and pour the Word into them and encourage them and help them as they go through their struggles and their ups and their downs and their learning process and their skill development and moving on forward in their walk with Christ. 
Dale Marshfield was a fully mature, very equipped, one-year-old believer when he discipled me. <laughs> it was all new to him. But he had a year head start. And he knew tons more than I knew and was walking far closer with Christ and he had what I wanted. And then at the end of that year, he went off to a college called Baptist Bible College. And I was on campus with my buddy John and another guy who just got saved, Vaughn Van Skyver came to the State University campus where I was, and I was now fully mature, not, one year old in the Lord, and I poured into Vaughn's life. And one of the men on this retreat was telling me that he's up in Corning, and he said he went to Victory Highway Wesleyan Church. I said, oh, well, do you, do you happen to know a fellow there by the name of Vaughn Van Skyver? looked at me and he said, he just married me. And my wife, uh, yeah, I mean, he's my favorite pastor there. I said, I discipled him 49 years ago for one year. That's all I had with Vaughn, one year. But God used that to initiate that growth process in his life. And I lost track of him for 10 years because there weren't no computers or smartphones or email or texting and had no idea where he was, but ran into him again 10 years later and we reconnected. And what a joy it's been since then to see God's work in his life and family and ministry. But you, I only had, that, only had that one year. But you do what you can do with what God has given to you. Invest, invest, invest. Well, then the second illustration. Share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim, what's your aim? Is to please the one who enlisted him, who called him. Who called you? Jesus. He called you to himself. Now, is it your aim to please him? He's called you to be a soldier. The investor is pouring into the lives of other individuals. But as a disciple maker, you're also a soldier. And as a soldier, what's his point? Two things. Suffering, priorities. Two things. Suffering and priorities. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a battle. How long? Until we're glorified. It's going to be a battle. And as a soldier of Jesus Christ, you've got to be prepared for the battle. And to fight the battle well, you've got to know what your priorities are. Now, notice he doesn't say here that a soldier does not get entangled in Ponzi schemes. He's not talking about something illegal or wicked here. A civilian pursuit. What, what's the idea? Well, okay, here's the guy in the trench. I know they didn't have rifles back then, but in the trench. Well, I have his bow. Okay, here we go with a bow. And he's in the trench. And he's, he's, he's getting ready for the battle, and his cell phone rings. And he's talking with the secretary back at the office and trying to figure out what we're going to do to solve this problem that we have with the business. Zip! The arrow goes over his head. You say, are you kidding me? If you're in the midst of the battle, put the phone away. Get your focus on what's going on. You can't be living two lives all engaged here and trying to be a soldier. 
you've got to say no to most everything else. And that's one of the hardest challenges we have as disciple makers is saying no to good things that are getting in the way of the best thing. Saying no to the good things that are getting in the way of the one thing. Making disciples. Because if you don't say no to a lot of good things, you won't be able to say yes to the one thing. Why are we here? The reason we're not already in hell is because of God's great grace. The reason we're not already in heaven is because of God's great commission. If you don't say no to a lot of good things, you won't be able to say yes to the one thing that's keeping us here. Third illustration, the athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's not the first person across the finish line that wins the victor's crown. It's the per first person across the finish line who ran the race course. If it was only the first person across the finish line, I could win an Olympic sprint. Or maybe the 440 or the 880. And while they're running all around here, I'm just running straight across the field and boom, I'm across the finish line. Hey! You say, oh, no, you didn't. You didn't. You didn't run the race, man. You, you, just, you just took a shortcut. And that disqualified you. What's he talking about here? Live it. Live it. You don't get the victor's crown if you don't run the race according to the rules. He's talking here about the commandments of Jesus Christ. Living a life in obedience to the Word. Yes, you've got to know it. Yes, you've got to give it. Yes, you've got to guard it like a soldier. But yes, you've got to live it like an athlete. You've got to discipline yourself to full obedience. Because nobody can make you obey. And nobody can obey for you. You must discipline yourself for full obedience. And that means having a tender conscience towards sin. That means quickly confessing. That means turning every situation into a prayer. That means walking close with Jesus Christ. That means memorizing Scripture. That means filling your mind and heart with the truth. That means running the race yourself in a way that honors Jesus Christ. Oh, I can tell story after story of individuals. who stopped running the race because the one that was discipling them stopped running the race. And they were offended by that and they gave up on the whole thing saying it's all a bunch of malarkey. No, it's not. I remember a conversation with one guy who told me he's never going to church again. And I said, we were just getting acquainted. I said, why not? He told me about this pastor who had led him to Christ and discipled him and and. And, and they were close, close friends. And this pastor got off track and left his wife and ran off with another woman. And this fellow walked away. 
I said, why were you gathering with other believers? To worship the pastor? Or to worship Jesus Christ? Yes, it's awful what he did. But it's not unheard of. Don't get your eyes on men. Men will always disappoint you given enough time. Get your eyes on Christ. But you see the importance of living it? One of my constant prayers is, God, don't let me be a stumbling block, a hindrance to anyone else's faith or walk with you. When I die and my name is mentioned to the handful of people that know it, may there be no shaking of heads and shame. And it's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. That's who, we're, that's who we are representing. It's not that I want this for my name's sake. I want it for His name's sake. Live it. You're an athlete. And then the last illustration is the farmer. It's the hardworking farmer. I know about that. 70 head of Holsteins, 250 acres. It's a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Now, here's another little pithy statement that Paul says, now think about it. And I'm just giving you some initial insights. You've got to think a lot more about this because there's a lot more there than what we're talking about in all of these illustrations. But in this illustration, what's the point? It's work and it's worth it. It's work. It's hard work. You know the hardest thing about living the Christian life? People. Me especially. My biggest problem is me. And the problem is wherever I go, I take me with me. If I could just get rid of me, I'd be doing much better. But it's also true that relationships, horizontal relationships are always between two sinners. Say that with me. Horizontal relationships are always between two sinners. I am not excusing sin. I am not minimizing sin or its significance. I'm simply saying we live in a fallen world and we are fallen people and therefore there's going to be discouragements at times. There's going to be spiritual exhaustion at times. There's going to be disappointments at times. But understand this, it's hard work and you are not responsible for other people's choices. Never forget that. You are responsible for your own. But the hard-working farmer is the first one to taste the fruit. Harvest is coming. Harvest is coming. Can you see the glorious throne of our Savior? Can you see yourself standing there? Can you see yourself standing there with one or two or three or four others that you have poured into? Can you hear your Savior say, oh, may it be, well done, good and faithful investor, good and faithful athlete, good and faithful soldier, good and faithful farmer. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What is your Lord's joy? 
you. It's you who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What's the joy of Jesus? Disciples. Then if you're going to enter into the joy of your Lord, what is it? His joy are disciples. You can enter into that joy now in its foretaste and then in its fullness by investing in others, developing relationships for the sake of disciple-making, for the privilege of pouring God's truth into the hearts and lives of fellow believers. And you don't need to have a PhD to do it, or a master's degree, or a bachelor's degree, or an associate's degree. God intends to use every one of us who are still here to make disciples, to help someone else take that next step. We need each other. And there are many others who need you as well. It's endless effort, it's slow progress, it's patient waiting, it's faithful praying. I remember when we were in our first ministry down in Wilkesbury at First Walsh Baptist Church, uh, a lady, uh, widow, Leah Lloyd, let me uh, build a little garden in her yard. And uh, so I dug it all up and put some manure in there and dug it all up and planted the plants. And when I got done, stood up, Leah said, come over here. So I went over. She said, hold my hand. I held her hand. And she's just a little round-faced, beautiful, bushy, white-haired, 80-year-old Welch lady. I held her hand. She said, now we're going to pray the gardener's prayer. Okay. Lord, we've done our best. You do the rest. (laughs) (laughs) I still pray that prayer every time I plant my garden. (laughs) The hard-working farm. That was a lot of work. But guess what? You can't make it grow. Yeah, you can plant it. Yeah, you can weed it. Yeah, you can water it, right? But who gives the increase? God gives the increase. God makes it grow. And so we need to be clean vessels through which God can work for this holy, joyful privilege of helping others grow in their walk with Christ. Activity is no substitute for production. Production is no substitute for reproduction. Jesus intended to make us reproducing disciple-makers until He comes or our journey is done. And Paul says, turn with me to chapter 4. I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going to go here right now quick. Chapter 4. He says, in verse... 5. As for you, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have, together, 
fought the good fight. What illustration is that? Soldier, okay. I have finished the race. What illustration is that? Athlete. I have kept and not wasted the faith, the investor, right? He will keep that which has been entrusted to me, and I am to keep it and invest it in others. I've kept the faith. I haven't lost it or wasted it. And henceforth there is laid up, stored up in the barn, in the storehouse. What illustration? Same four illustrations, you see, at the end of his letter. Henceforth, there is stored up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Well, sure, that's Paul. Keep reading. And not only to me, but to all those who've loved his appearing. Think about these things. Paul then says in verse 7, think about these things. Think about these things. Let them consume you. Let them fill your mind. Let them fill your heart. Let them grab your focus. Let them become your priority. Think about these things. And then he says, remember Jesus Christ. Who is the great investor? He called 12, right? He didn't call 225. He called 12. Three of those he spent extra time with, Peter, James, and John. He was very focused. He chose. He called. Remember Jesus Christ, the investor. Who is the soldier, the ultimate soldier who kept his focus clear and did not get entangled in civilian affairs? Jesus, who is the athlete that did always those things that pleased his Father? Jesus, who is the hardworking farmer who stayed at it until it is finished? Remember Jesus Christ. We're talking about following Jesus, right? And if you're talking about following Jesus, you're talking about making disciples. Interacting with others, doing life in tandem, and encouraging one another to grow in your walk with Christ. Jesus has never ordained lone rangers in the body of Christ. May the Lord help us to see and seize the opportunities to make disciples, to share what we know, even if we think we know so little, but to share it and encourage and grow with others, doing life together for His glory. Lord, we thank You for this calling. And we quickly admit, Lord, we can't do this apart from You. But we're not apart from You. We are yours, and you have called us to follow you in this. And so, Lord, lead on and help us to be faithful investors, faithful soldiers, focused and not so 
distributed so many things that we can't do what you've called us to do. Help us to learn to say no to the good things so we can say yes to the one thing. And Lord, that we might be faithful athletes finishing the race and keeping the rules and farmers who don't stop because it's hard but are always looking to the harvest. Grant that grace to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen.